morning, everyone. Nice to be back, and uh, I suppose it's nice to be back up the front. Um, we'll wait and see about that. Um, I want to join in Matt and David's welcome to you all. Uh, my name's Darren. Um, I've been told I need to give a special shout-out to my Bible study group who, in support of me being up here, are all wearing Hawaiian shirts. And I do, know, I do see that all the ones I've spotted so far do have a, a palm tree theme. Um, we've even co-opted Harry down the front here into the Hawaiian shirt theme, so uh, good on you, Harry. Uh, it's great to see this is usually the most relaxed service of the year. In fact, uh, the last few times I've been up here, it's been hard to get people out the door at the end. Everybody doesn't seem to have a place to go. They just hang around and talk forever. That's, that's all good, though. You can hang around today as long as you like, and, uh, and if need be, I'll hang around and lock up. Um, but uh, make sure you have a talk to somebody you haven't met after the service. If you are visiting uh, with us and you might be one of those once-a-year visitors who, who drop in at Christmas time, welcome back. If you're just here for the first time, I want to join in that welcome to you too and hope that you enjoy the time with us. We want it to be a warm welcome, but not so warm as we've had for the last week. Um, I think that little bit of rain last night was a bit of a tease, don't you? Did anybody else get some rain last night? About 10 drops on the roof, just enough to run out and and then it didn't come anyway. That's all good. Um, so as we come to the end of yet another year, um, it's a it's a bit it's a time where we tend to think, you know, you know, I'm getting a bit older, and uh, and uh, it's natural to think that way and to think about what's been in that past year and what lies ahead. Um, this year uh, has been one where I've really started to notice my age. Uh, it's catching up with me. Uh, in just a couple of months, I'll turn 52. I know, that's hard to believe, isn't it? You know, it's just incredible. Um, it seems like only yesterday I was finishing high school, um, but then people tell me that, um, people tell me that 50 is the new 30, and, uh, so I'm perhaps going to go with that and, uh, and believe it, uh, in, and maybe also believe that incredible sage of the ages, uh, Indiana Jones, who was once quoted as saying, it's not the years, honey, it's the mileage. So I don't know about my mileage, we'll, we'll work that out later. Um, the thing that's really become conscious to me over this, uh, this year about getting older, though, isn't the blaring music of my staff members at work um, or the inane conversation their DJs seem to have. Um, but it's the fact that every time this year that I've gone to see an expert, uh, they are obviously younger than me. <laughs> and it's not that I don't trust their skills. Um, I just don't understand how you can learn to do brain surgery, but you haven't yet learned how to shave. <laughs> so anyway, these things aside... Um, this is year, year has made me real, really conscious of, of getting older. And the thing that's, that's uh, made me most conscious of it is my eyesight. Um, I am very, very long-sighted. And this year I've spent more time on a computer at work than ever before. And government changes in my work have meant that what once took me only 15 minutes on the computer now takes me about four hours. Um, and I don't get uh, any more any more work than I used to get um, or see any more clients than I used to see, but I spend these huge chunks of time each day sitting in front of a screen and filling in data and writing reports. Um, 
the huge increase in screen time has uh, has uh, been getting more and more difficult. Uh, by the end of the day, I can hardly see well enough um, to go home and even do just a little bit of reading. I find it really difficult. And I've ended up with three different sets of glasses for different, uh, different uh, problems. So... The irony of, of that is that in this year of 2020, um, a year which will constantly remind me about eyesight, um, my eyesight will probably fail me and I think I'm going to end up going to bifocals. Um, it's, I just hope that it will make things easier, clearer, and that I won't be constantly changing my glasses every time I do a new task. Um, Seeing clearly is something we often take for granted, though, isn't it? Uh, one day, you know, um, one day when, and then one day we can't see clearly and we suddenly realise this isn't good. Um, and then comes all the anxiety and the clumsiness of not being able to see um, where we're heading or maybe being able to manipulate the, the tiniest parts. At the same time, but though, there's actually a different sort of vision. Uh, and it's not necessarily a visual sense, but a spiritual one. One where we're looking ahead and seeing what's in front of us and seeing what God uh, is doing and where he might be taking us. Um, and here at Wodonga Baptist, uh, we are looking forward and about to start a new phase or a new era in our church life. We we believe that God has given us a new vision and uh, for where he's going to lead us. And in fact... We've encapsulated that into a theme and that theme is glorifying God as he grows his kingdom. Now, um, what does that mean and what does it look like? And what will change around here because of that? Who knows? Um, I certainly uh, think we'll see some significant changes but the but that's a big question, you know, what does that mean? It's way too big for me to tackle here today. Um, It's a discussion that will actually involve the whole church as God's community here and as he reveals his plan to us. Um, But what, what it will involve, though, is change. There are likely to be times where we can't see what God is doing and there's likely to be times when we won't know how to respond and I'm pretty sure there will be uh, some difficult things that, to face and some sacrifices made as God moulds and he reforms us. Um, and there will also be times when God reveals something new and exciting and he does some amazing things in our midst. And God's word is full of stories of how God communicates through visions and dreams and, and even by by direct contact, such as uh, what he did um, speaking to Moses through the burning bush. God seems to reveal his plans and demonstrate his power and he also intervenes in the lives of people by means of what they both see and uh, in the natural world around them, but sometimes unveiling uh, things in, a greater spir- in the greater spiritual world as well. Um, so today... I want you to join with me as we look at a passage from the book of 2 Kings. Uh, It's chapter 6. I'm going to look at the first 23 verses uh, and in there we're going to find two stories. So if you've got your Bibles, look it up. It would be great for you to follow along. 
Now, at first glance, these stories might not seem related, but I hope that as we dig in uh, to them a little bit, we're going to see that they can both speak to us about where we are as a church, but also on a personal level where God might be taking taking you in this year. So let's take a look. 2 Kings chapter 6, and and it says, um, One day, a group of prophets came to Elisha and told him, as you can see, this place where we meet is uh, meet with you, it's too small. Let's go down to the Jordan River where there are plenty of logs and there we can build a new place for us to meet. All right, he told them, go ahead. Please come with us, someone suggested. I will, he said. So he went with them. And when they arrived at the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one of them was cutting a tree... His axe head fell off into the river. Oh, sir, he cried. It was a borrowed axe. Where did it fall, the man of God asked. When he showed him the place, Elijah cut a stick and threw it into the water at that spot. And then the axe head floated to the surface. Grab it, Elijah said. And the man reached out and grabbed it. And then going on. Verse 8, when the king of Aram was at war with Israel, he would confer with his officers and say, we'll mobilise our forces at such and such a place. But immediately, Elijah, the man of God, would warn the king of Israel, don't go near that place, for the Arameans are planning to mobilise their troops there. So the king of Israel would send send word to the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elijah would warn the king so that he would be on, he would be on the alert there. The king of Aram became very upset over this. He called his officers together and demanded, "Which of you is a traitor? Who has been informing to the king of Israel my plans?" Well, it isn't us, my lord, the king. Um, one of the officers replied to him, Elisha, the prophet of Israel, tells the king of Israel even the words that you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. Let's try that again. Go and find out where he is, the king commanded, so I can send troops to seize him. And the report came back, Elijah's at Dotham, So one night the king of Aram sent a great army with chariots and horses to surround the city. And when the servant of the the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what do we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. Well, don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. And then Elisha prayed, Oh Lord, open the eyes and let him see. And the Lord opened the young man's eyes and when he looked up, he saw the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. The Aramean army advanced towards him and Elijah prayed, Oh Lord, please make them blind. So he struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. And Elijah went out and told them, You've come the wrong way. This isn't the right city. 
follow me and I'll, uh, I'll take you to the man you're looking for. And he led them to the city of Samaria. As soon as they uh, entered Samaria, Elisha uh, prayed, O oh Lord, now open their eyes and let them see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they discovered that they were in the middle of the city of Samaria. And when the king of Israel saw them, he shouted, he shouted out to Elijah, My father, should I kill him? Should I kill him? Of course not, Elijah replied. We don't kill prisoners of war. Give them food and drink and then, and then send them home again to their master. So the king made a great feast for them and then sent them home to their master. And after that, Arameans, raiders, stayed away from the land of Israel. As I said, at, at first glance, um, at first glance, these two stories appear to have no real connection. But if you stick with me, I hope we'll find something in here that can lay a good foundation for what lies ahead for us both as a church and individually. Here in the first story, uh, we find a group of prophets uh, who are now... Now, who are these prophets? Well, if we look more broadly at the passage that surrounds this one, we can, we can sort of surmise that Elisha was in effect running or heading up some sort of training centre for younger people in the city of Dothan. While he, he may have been, uh, it, well, it may, he may have been like the dean of a college, the students were spiritually mature and to the point where they're actually being described as prophets, though. Um, this school that Elijah is now running has outgrown its facilities and needs to be it needs expanding. And now I reckon that's a pretty good sign, don't you? Uh, more people coming to learn and deepen their relationship with God. So the place is bursting at the seams and this leaves them with a dilemma. How do they expand? Even who will fit, foot the bill for the expansion? You see, there are plenty of rocks at Dothan for building walls. That's not the problem. It's the timbers that are costly because straight trees don't grow near Dothan. But rather than go to the people for materials or funds or rather than go into debt, these young prophets decide to get their, get their hands dirty. They propose to cut the timbers themselves and by asking Elisha to go with them, they are in effect seeking his support for this project. And Elisha's happy to muck in and, and be involved and I imagine they must have found that a great encouragement these young prophets. And it says that, and then we see this, this miracle, the man who was using a borrowed axe loses the head of the axe into the river. Now I think that the fact that it's a borrowed axe probably reflects that, that this was some sort of poor student uh, who couldn't afford an axe of his own. And this, this, is, this reaction reflects what's that he's actually responsible for the tool that was loaned to him. So here's a couple of quick questions, sort of side questions. Has God given you resources to use for the growing of his church? And 
and whether they be practical skills or even physical resources? And how willing are you for them to be used, for even other people to use them, when there might be a risk of damage or loss involved in that? Because somebody loaned this guy an axe, a pretty valuable tool. That guy wasn't holding on too tight. Or from the point of view of the student, when someone loans you a tool or lets you use their property or even the church property or even the church facilities for that matter, how much responsibility and care do we take to return those items in good condition? Because that little bit beggars the question about ownership and our view of what we have. Anyway, back to the story at hand. So Elijah cuts a stick, he throws it into the spot where the axe head fell and the iron axe head, it floats. Pretty incredible. Elijah prepares and he responds specifically where the problem has occurred and when the student prophet is and then the student prophet is able to respond to God's provision and God's intervention. So here in this little story we see God intervening in a small incident which is nonetheless important to this young prophet seeking to be faithful in uh, what God has given him to do. Let's move on to the second story where the Arameans are opposing the nation of Israel. In this story, uh, we find we see how God has opened and closes the eyes of different people. Firstly, Elijah is able to frustrate the king of Aram by advising Israel of the Aramean plans and thereby staying one step ahead of the attacks. And even the Arameans end up recognising that Elijah is a prophet and his foreknowledge has allowed him to know even the most, most secret details of their plans. So the king of Aram decides to attack or capture Elisha in order to clear the way for his bigger plan of attacking uh, the whole nation of, of Israel. Do you see a hole in this plan? If Elisha knows that the king of Aram is going to to attack Israel, what makes him think that Elijah won't be able to avoid attacks or capture himself? Pretty thick, I reckon. But anyway, Um, anyway, Elijah doesn't run away, surprisingly enough. He he remains in Dothan and he's not even troubled when the army of Aram surrounds the city. I think that we can often feel like things are conspiring against us and and attacks are are attacking us personally or attacking the work that God's doing in his church. And that must have been a bit what what Elisha was feeling like here. But unlike the servants who asks in verse 15, oh, sir, what will we do now? Elisha doesn't despair or lose focus. He, he has faith in the plans and the strength of God. And what's more, he helps the young man to see what God is doing. He prays that the servant will have his eyes open to a bigger vision and not be shackled by these earthly troubles. As Spurgeon put it, uh, the servant sees more horses of fire than horses of flesh and more chariots of fire than chariots of flesh, sorry, chariots of iron. Um, the servant's eyes are open to the full strength and the majesty and the power of God. 
The enemy army didn't instantly go away, but the power of their opposition was put into perspective for that, for that servant. So here's another lesson for us as we move forward in this new era. We, we can pray that we will have a bigger, grander, a more God perspective view of where we are and where he's taking us. We can share that vision with others who struggle to see how great God is and how he's working out his purposes and that despite the world being maybe down on us and we can have faith that God has things in hand. Now, here in verse 18, where are we? Oops, I've skipped a verse there. Um, Here in verse 18 and 19, the story turns. Elisha goes out to meet those who could seek to harm him. He he confronts them. And perhaps he he does this to uh, protect the citizens and the students in Dothan. I don't know. But nonetheless, he prays that the enemy's vision will be taken away. And he says, it says that the Lord struck them with blindness. Now, this is a really strange passage, I think, and it's a bit hard to understand because then he goes and leads the whole Aramean army from Dothan to Samaria, which, which is actually, the city of Samaria is actually referring to Shechem, so you can see where that is on the map. It's a long and it's a fairly treacherous walk for a blind person, let alone a whole blind army. Um, And what seems to be counterintuitive here is that even though they've just been struck with blindness, the soldiers aren't distracted from their original purpose. They still want to go and capture Elijah. Now, Elijah, when he speaks to them, isn't lying to them by saying they've gone to the wrong city. You see, his actual home is in Shechem, the city of Samaria. But it's also the home of the Israelite king, not a place where this army was sent or would really want to go. And I wonder if what is being described here is not actually a visual blindness for the Aramean army, but another type of blindness. Just as the servants' eyes were opened to the heavenly army surrounding and protecting Elisha, that was a spiritual sight. I wonder if the Aramean eyes worked perfectly well, but they were blinded to their own plans and they could no longer see that they were under God's authority. The plan was to capture Elisha, but instead Elisha ends up capturing them. And it's not until they're captured in the very centre of the town that their eyes are opened to their own dilemma. They have nowhere to run. And the king of Israel, the Israelites, wants to seize upon this opportunity. He wants them to have them all killed and to do away with this ongoing threat. But not Elisha. Elisha has a greater vision. Elisha sees the benefits of mercy and forgiveness and grace to these who would stand against God and his people the Israelites. And he doesn't just release them. He has them fed and cared for before they return home. And it's not just a sandwich and a bit of water. It's a great feast. Perhaps this is the sort of attitude that Jesus had in mind when he instructs us to go the extra mile in in Matthew chapter 5, 
41. The result of that generosity and kindness and grace is not just that the Aramean um, is not that the Aramean army uh, join with the Israelites. No, they they don't actually become allies. But this army that was once out to destroy them is now no longer inclined that way. The army actually stays away, and God's people have one less foe, at least for a period of time. So I think there is another lesson for us here as we look forward into our new year. We may have conflict with those who surround us and they may oppose and even want to thwart the plans of God that God has for us. They may have a very different idea of what's right and wrong. But rather than get worried, uh, we have the option to go to God and to seek his intervention and his will. We can invite people into our midst, not just here in this building, mind you, but also into our own homes and into conversations that we have. Once they are disarmed by our kindness and our grace, even if if they're not won over to Christ, we will likely still have one less opponent to us actually achieving that vision of glorifying God as he grows his kingdom. So here in this second story, we see a much greater intervention in, and deliverance of God, for God's people. But in many ways, it's no more significant than God's personal intervention with the axe head. We follow, God, follow a God who is concerned about our small details and yet is big enough to win a battle, even when we're overwhelmed by opposition. So in this coming year of 2020, I hope that we will have exactly we will have exactly that 2020 vision. We will see clearly what God is calling us to, that He's calling us to glorify Him as He grows His kingdom that we'll be prepared, just as these young prophets were, to put our energy and into seeing that vision come about. And that we'll also have the spiritual eyes to see what God is doing around us. But most importantly, that we would be models of generosity, kindness, grace, even to those who might oppose us. And that way, I'm sure that we will see God grow his kingdom. Why don't you join me in prayer? Father, these are really old stories that we've looked at today, uh, and but they give us a glimpse of who you are. We see that you're more powerful and overall, but uh, you're also concerned about the smaller personal details. Father, as we move into this new year, with a new vision and purpose, we want to see you clearly, to have the faith to trust in you even when opposition might come, to be involved and committed and energetic in the things that you're doing amongst us, but most of all that we will be generous and kind and full of grace as we reach out to those who see the world differently from us.
We ask that you would be with us, guiding us and teaching us as we trust in you this coming year. In Jesus' name, amen.